0: Good morning, everyone. I was talking with Jackson about the the title slide, The Language of the Bible, Words We Don't Use Today. And he was like, it's funny, because when you first read that, it sounds like we're almost saying, like, we really don't use any of biblical language. Like, we just don't know what the Bible says today. And I was like, well, I can maybe make a case for that. Uh, but specifically, what we're going to look at today as we wrap up this year, as we get ready to start a new series in January, um, we're going to look at a word that I'm guessing most of us don't use in everyday language. Uh, if I say Ebenezer, what do you think of? Scrooge. It's Christmas time. That's what I think of in the middle of June anyway. Uh, it's Scrooge, right? Years ago, I don't remember how many years ago, if I could encourage you guys to be anything in your life, well, no, I shouldn't say anything. Be holy. There's a lot of stuff I'd encourage you to be. If there's one thing that maybe some of you might not be that I I could encourage you to pursue being is be curious. Be curious, people. And and what I mean by that is years ago we were singing a, a beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount, and I sang out, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, and I realized I have no clue what I just said. I sang it, it sounded nice, don't know what I'm talking about. And so church ended, I went home and I was like, what's an Ebenezer? Is it biblical? Or is this just some old English word that we don't know? And what I found is it's this really beautiful uh, idea that we see in Scripture, in the Old Testament. And so this morning, we're going to look at the word Ebenezer. Uh, We're going to look at what it means to raise one and why it's important and why I think it's so valuable. And honestly, why I think it's something that maybe a lot of us are missing in our lives. Uh, But if you will, please join me in prayer before we begin. Lord, thank you for the beautiful truths that we just sang about the the way we encouraged one another exhorted one another and praised who you are praised your name what a privilege it is to be able to lift up our voices together and and glorify you as we continue to worship through engaging with your word may it be with hearts of humility may it be with hearts of surrender maybe with curious minds god you are a God of intellect, you have given us the ability to think, may we use it to praise you. Get rid of me entirely. Nobody needs to hear from me. We need you. Sanctify us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 7. I'm, I'm going to read the first 12 verses. We're not going to actually get to the word Ebenezer until verse 12, so we will get there. I know we're talking about it, but the first 11 verses aren't going to use that word. It appears once, just once. And then we're going to go through and we're going to look at what this story tells us. This is First Samuel 7. If you're able to, out of respect for the word of the Lord, please stand with me. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged in Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, Then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. You can be seated. Ebenezer means stone of help. That's literally what that word means. So he sets up a stone and he names it Ebenezer and he says, this is the place, like this is the literal physical mark where from there till here, like this is where God has helped us and has saved us. And when we look at this whole story, I think we see some incredible, beautiful truths about who God is, who he has called his people to be, his church to be, what we see in the world, what we see in our lives. And so we're just going to unpack this story a little bit at a time and look at what we see. It's really four parts. And the first part is, it begins with Israel repenting. And the important thing that I want to draw attention to here is is note, let's go back to verses uh, 2, 3, and 4. From that day until the ark was lodged, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Sin should grieve us. This recognition of where they have been as a people, as God's people, sanctified, set apart, and where they have allowed themselves to go to, to turn from the Lord, it grieved them and it caused them to lament after the Lord. And then Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. See, that's a huge, huge thing that we can never lose sight of in our lives. When we're considering the grief and the weight of sin, repentance is genuine turning from. We have talked about this before. Guess what? We will talk about it again. Every time the Bible brings up repentance, we will talk about this. Repentance is action. It's not just words. It's not just hollow nothingness. Uh, If you remember, this was maybe three years ago, I did an illustration where I physically moved this and I put it over here and I looked at just these people and then I apologized to you all for turning my back on you and then I immediately turned and I did it again and we did it two or three times. That's not repentance. I can't say I'm repentant if I'm just like, oh shoot, Uh, well I kind of feel emotionally bad that you caught me doing this, so I'm sorry. No, repentance is action. Listen to what scripture says. This is 1 Kings 8:46 and 48 or 46 248 If they sin against you for there is no one who does not sin and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that this is he's talking to the Lord he's talking to the Lord about his people about God's people he says if they sin against you for there is no one who does not sin and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near Yet if they turn their hearts in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors saying we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their hearts in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and prayed you towards the land which you gave to the fathers, the city that you have chosen, the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause." If they repent with all of their hearts, if they repent with all of their minds, if they turn back to you, because sin is turning away from God, it's rejecting God, it's choosing something other than his holiness. So if I say, hey, I reject God and I turn over here, oh shoot, I'm sorry, but I still choose this, we can't call that a repentant heart. What else does Scripture say about this idea? Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Joel 2.12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Genesis 35.2, So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Joshua 24, 14, and 23. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Repentance is action. It's follow through it's grieving the sin it's recognizing the sin for what it is and it's feeling the weight and the burden of it and it's returning to the lord i'm going to ask you all a question that i've asked all of the candidates we're interviewing for the associate position answer this first part in your mind what is the what's the biggest problem facing the church today what's the biggest need in the church today People talk about, oh, we need more fellowship. We need more discipleship. We need more, People like, they, they, everybody has their answers, right? I'm sure you guys do. What's the biggest need facing the church today? What's the biggest need facing society today? A holier church. Church has drifted, right? We're not teaching this. Okay, great. Everybody has an answer to that first question. And then the moment they stop speaking, the moment they stop giving their answer to the first part, I immediately fire off, great, what are you doing about it? surprising how many guys have an answer to the first one and get tripped up at the second half. See, we can lament the state of things today. We can lament where the church is today. We can lament and grieve where things are. And we can say, oh, you know what? The church has really drifted from truth. The church has really drifted from this. The church has really fallen away. The church has done this. Okay, great. Are we just sorry or are we repentant? Are we doing something about it? Are we turning back to the holiness that we're called to? This is what God's people were doing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes, there's grief. Yes, there's lamentation. But there's sanctification. There's growth. That should be celebrated. That should be pursued. And then what do we see happens in this moment? The people are repenting. The people are sacrificing. They're returning to the Lord And it says, the lords of the Philistines, their enemies, heard about this. They heard about God's people returning to holiness. They heard about God's people returning to him. They heard about God's people gathered in one place, offering sacrifices. And it says, and they chose to attack at that moment. I want to talk about the war we find ourselves in. Because it's easy to swing too far in either direction. And I want to point out a very practical lesson. How many people have ever heard or ever said the phrase, when it rains, it pours? Yeah, I've said it. There was this was a seven-day period in our lives earlier this year. Within seven days, Pastor Mario announced his resignation. We found out a family member died. We had a miscarriage, and we had the vote to leave the denomination. I was exhausted. Mentally, emotionally, every new thing felt like, oh my goodness, when it rains, it pours. And I was so tempted to just quit. And to just, not, not like in general, but just, I'm curling up in my bedroom and I'm watching like streaming videos until my eyes fall out. I'm done. I was, I was so tempted to be angry, to be bitter, to be short, to disengage, When it rains, it pours. How many people have ever said or heard, well, I knew it was too good to last. Uh, I, I knew things were going too well. I was waiting for the other shoe. Like, I was waiting for something to go wrong, right? Like, things were too good. I was waiting for it to go bad. Yeah, I've been there too. Well, which is it? Does the enemy attack when everything else is going wrong and then he just piles one more thing on? Or does he wait till everything's going well and we're distracted and complacent? No, the enemy attacks when he thinks it'll be effective. It's not like we can say, hey, if things are good, now I know I'm safe from attack. Hey, if things are bad, now I know I'm safe from attack. No, the enemy attacks when the enemy thinks it's going to work. I mean, listen to what Scripture says about this. This is Job 1.7. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Why does he go to and fro on the earth? Why does he walk up and down on it? 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lions are cool. They're the the king of the jungle. Even though they're ironically found most frequently in the African savannah. But they're these big impressive animals. Well, you know what they also are? They're opportunistic. They go after the best option all predators do that they go after hey where do I think this will actually work will it work at the watering hole will it work when they're sleeping like that's how our enemy operates and so if we try and spend all this time figuring out exactly when okay well on Tuesdays at this time like no he's gonna attack when he thinks it's gonna work and so we're just called to be ready we're called to be prepared. We're called to know what to do so that when the attack comes, we're ready for it. And I can truthfully say I talked about that week that it was exhausting for my wife and I, that we, we just felt overwhelmed by so many ways. We, we had taught ourselves, we had trained ourselves, we had prepared ourselves for, hey, when things are hard, here's how we respond. Because the time to come up with your, your defense is not in the moment. It's in preparing ahead of time, knowing that the enemy is going to attack. And so I can truthfully say that in that week, my wife and I spent so much beautiful, wonderful time in prayer together and so much beautiful, wonderful time in worship together. I mean, there was praise music almost 24-7 in our house that weekend. And we would cry, but then we would also say, hey, I'm rejoicing in this. Because you have to be ready to face the hard moments ahead of time. And we see, I don't want to say that and then leave you with this response of, okay, great, how do we face the hard moments? That wouldn't be very fair. And God doesn't do that to us. God presents his people repenting, turning to him, pursuing holiness. He tells us about the reality of the enemy attacks that seeks to destroy, to kill and to devour. And then he shows us how his people are supposed to respond. Listen to this. It's incredible. I love this next part of 1 Samuel 7. Let's go back there, verses 8 and 9. Okay, so the enemy, they attack. What happens? When the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. What was Samuel doing on behalf of the people? What was the leadership of the people doing? What were the people actively engaged in prior to the attack? They were humbling themselves before the Lord, crying out for rescue, crying out for forgiveness, crying out for mercy, crying out for God's holiness. What do they say? Do not stop. Do not cease this. How easy would it be to say, oh, there's a threat coming. We got to change up the game plan. Okay, quick, stop the offerings, pick up the swords. And the people say, no, 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 do not cease to pray for us. Do not cease to lead us in this. The people don't make the mistake of trying to fight the battle on their own. They don't lose focus. So last week, or no, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, maybe even three weeks ago, I don't know. I don't remember what day it is. Uh, when we did our annual meeting that Sunday, we looked at, hey, there was some stuff this year that was wearying, that took an emotional toll, a mental toll on a lot of us. Then we looked at there's a lot of stuff this year that was awesome and that we should be excited about and we should be rejoicing in and celebrating. And we looked at the balance of the year. So some of us may feel like, hey, when it rains, it pours. Some of us may feel like, man, everything's going well. When's the shoe going to drop? Whatever you're feeling, wherever you think you want to be tempted towards, don't lose Focus. Don't try and fight on your own. God calls his people to this time and time again. Listen to these verses. Second Chronicles twenty twelve. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And you'll get the context of this. This is a chapter that we're going to all read this week. So I realize I'm pulling out one verse and you don't have the background. You're going to get to it. It's okay. Second Chronicles twenty twelve. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Listen to this line. Oh my goodness, listen to this line that God's people cry out to him in a time of tribulation. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, like that's goosebumps, right? Hey, what are we going to do about the associate? Who's Who's the next person? Don't know yet. Hey, what are we doing about the denomination? Where are we going next? Don't know yet. Hey, what's tomorrow hold? Don't know. But our eyes are on you. The focus never goes away. Listen to one of my heroes from scripture. And I realize we're not supposed to place anyone on a pedestal, so I get it. This was a broken, flawed man we're about to talk about. He sinned. He was unholy on his own. Like, I get all that. But listen to Nehemiah's life. This is Nehemiah. Don't uh, don't try and flip through all this. We're going through basically the whole book of Nehemiah. Not every verse, but we're going through Nehemiah's life. Listen to this. This is Nehemiah 2.10. So Nehemiah was called by the Lord to lead the people to go rebuild the walls of of Jerusalem. And in 2.10, we hear this. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of of Israel. So we've got Nehemiah, we've got the returning remnant, and then we've got opposition, we've got adversaries. It displeased them. Verse 19, When Sanballat and Tobiah heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He doesn't lose his focus. Okay, then we jump to chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And you jump down to verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Verse 14, And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Then we jump ahead to chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at HaKafririm in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Jump ahead to verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us. The enemies wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Methethaphel, who was confined to his house, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away... And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. He goes on, he says, So the wall was finished. On the 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Why? For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. At every turn, the enemy tried to distract Nehemiah and God's people. They tried to use fear as a tactic. They tried to use conversation as a tactic. They tried to use peace negotiations as a tactic. They tried to use plants within the own people as a tactic. And every time Nehemiah said, Nope, we are not going to lose focus. We are not going to stop working. What did it say they did do? They prayed and they trusted And they continued at the task that God had called them to. Don't lose focus. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop building. Don't stop pushing back the darkness. Don't try and do the battle on our own. Pursue the work that God has called us to and pray and trust. What do we see in Psalm 18, 18 to 21? They confronted me. The psalmist is writing about his adversaries. I'm going to add emphasis as I read this. They confronted me when, in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. In the day of my calamity, the enemy confronted me. Well, how did their psalmist respond? He said, nope, I have kept the ways of the Lord. God's people can't lose sight of the mission. They can't lose sight of the calling on their lives. We cannot try and do this on our own. We cannot try and exist as the church on our own. We cannot try and exist as a local congregation on our own. You cannot exist as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew, whatever. You cannot do it on your own. The moment you lose focus of this, the moment you stop relying on the Lord, the moment you stop depending on his sovereignty, that's when the trouble pops up. Because what happens? Oh, now the story gets super fun. What happens when God's people don't lose focus? They don't turn from their task. They don't abandon the call to holiness or sanctification. They don't abandon the call to repentance. They pray and they trust. And what happens next? Fireworks. It is awesome. 1 Samuel 7. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and Samuel cried out, and the Lord Answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. God fights for his people. If you're weary, God fights for you. If this last year was exhausting, God fights for you. If you're scared about what this next year might hold, God fights for you. God fights for his people. Think of an image of Jesus. When when we have painted Jesus, when we do pictures of Jesus, what's he look like? His hair's all nice and soft. There's like a pretty sunrise in the back. He's holding a lamb or a baby or both. And it's just nice and gentle and, you know, flute music is playing in the background. And that's all true. Jesus says, my heart is gentle. Jesus is kind. Jesus is tender. Jesus is compassionate. That's all true. Jesus is also like Rambo, John Wayne, John McClane, like Jesus is also the single greatest action hero the world has ever known. Listen to how God describes himself in scripture. Exodus 15:3, "The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name." Deuteronomy 24, "For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory." Isaiah 42.13, the Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. Jeremiah 20.11, but the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. Hebrews 13.6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen to Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, talking about Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. God is a soldier like the world has never known. God is a military commander with brilliance far surpassing our own historical heroes. God is omnipotent and God fights for his people. Like, seriously, what are you going to come at us with? Did Did you hear how God describes himself? A dread warrior. Eyes like fire, a sword emanating from his mouth. Like, Do you hear the power that is the Lord's? What, what are you going to come at us with that God is not sovereign over? So God's people don't lose focus. They don't lose sight. They say, no, we're not the ones in this moment called the fight. We're going to pray. We're going to surrender, and God will do the fighting. And God does the fighting, and the Philistines are defeated. Come on, let that encourage you. Let that bolster your strength. Let that cause you to press on one more day, one more inch, one more conversation. Fight, don't stop. And then what do God's people do? How do they respond? What brings us to all of this that started this whole thing? The fourth part of the story. After God gives victory, Samuel raises a stone and he calls it Ebenezer. And he says, for the Lord has helped us. Then God's people respond with deliberate acts of witness, deliberate testimony, deliberate sharing, deliberate promoting of what God has done, prompting questions from others. They create conversation starters. Listen to scripture. This is Genesis 31, 44 to 48. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it, oh boy. (laughs) Laban called it Jagar Sahadahutha. (laughs) You don't know if I said it correctly. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Genesis 35, 13-15, Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. You have Joshua. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Psalm 145, 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is a very practical application. This is a very practical tool. This is a very practical help. Why? Because we are forgetful people. We are selfish people. We get so wrapped up in our own problems. We get so wrapped up in our own difficulties. We get so wrapped up in our own immediate circumstances that we lose sight of who God is and what he's done. This isn't unique to us. So what did God have his people do throughout time? Hey, when something significant happens, create a way to remember it. Use these stones as a marker of the covenant. Build this monument so that what? So that future generations will see it and say, What's with the pile of rocks? Why do you think it talks about, the, in Deuteronomy, it talks about, or in the Torah, it talks about bind the laws to your wrists, tie them to your the foreheads, nail them to the, the doorposts of your house. So that you have a reminder in front of you so that when life tries to distract us, when life tempts us to forget, when we lose sight, when we get overwhelmed, when we get nervous, when, like the people in verse 7, we hear the enemy is coming and we get afraid, we have these reminders in our lives to say, oh yeah, wait a minute. Remember the covenant. Remember what God has done. And let me tell you about it. So when we sing that beautiful hymn of, here I raise my Ebenezer, what we're saying is, Here I have deliberately taken action to place a reminder in my life that will call to mind the faithfulness of God. Here are the intentional steps I have taken to make sure that in the hard times, I have a reminder of who the Lord is and what he's done. Here I take note of how God has rescued me. Here I celebrate and rejoice and praise him for what he has done in my life. And honestly, I think we could all use more Ebenezer's in our lives. Because I know we lose sight of these things. And I know we get overwhelmed and we get nervous. And God says, hey, I, I get it. You're going to do that. You're not omniscient. So if you raise an Ebenezer, if you raise a memorial, it gives you something to remind you. It gives you something to cause the next person to ask, what's that about? So what in your life causes others to say, whoa, hey, tell me about that? I'm not literally saying, I mean, if you want to, if you pray about it and feel called to, cool. I would love to come see it. But I'm not saying like when guests come to your home and they open the door, there needs to be 12 stones piled up. But is there something in your house that's going to cause guests to say, whoa, tell me about that. What's the deal with that? Is there something in your office, your cubicle at work? Is there something in your car? Is there something, like, like, why, why would we not take this seriously? Seriously. I mean, if you're right now thinking of like, oh, come on, that's kind of weird, why? If you go into my office, if you've been to my office, you see a lot of books and you see a lot of Lego. I just got Lego for Christmas. It was great. I built it yesterday. Why? Because one, I genuinely like Lego. But two, every time I see Lego in my office, and it's at every angle. So no matter which way I'm facing in my office, I can see Lego. And this is the honest to goodness truth. Like, every time I see Lego, it's like, oh yeah, life's fun. Enjoy it. Be a child. Don't lose that sense of wonder. Don't stop laughing. Every time I see Lego, it makes me think of these things. There's something else in my office. On the coffee table, where I've got some of my favorite books displayed, there's also a picture. Just a simple ceramic pitcher. It's never full with anything. I would knock it over. I'm not going to do that to Rebecca. But what does that pitcher remind me of? Every time I see it, when I look up from my desk, my eyes see the pitcher. What's it remind me of? It reminds me that, hey, I am called to pour myself out in service, but a pitcher cannot pour out if it's not being poured into And that picture reminds me, I need to be returning to the well that never runs dry. I need to be returning to the source of life. I need to be returning to the waters that won't leave me thirsty. So if I'm not being filled, if I'm not pursuing Jesus, there's no way I'm going to be able to pour myself out for you guys. That picture reminds me of who I'm called to be. The Lego reminds me of who I'm called to be. My wife and I have different things in our home that when we see it, it says, Oh, yeah, that's who we're called to be. Oh, yeah, that's what God has done. Oh, yeah, that's who He is. And people have asked us about it. What's that thing? Oh, hey, let me tell you. So, do we have Ebenezers in our lives? Maybe it's a poster. Maybe it's a framed piece of artwork. Maybe, like, But do you have things? Have you intentionally taken ownership of setting up reminders in your life so that when the busyness of life, when the fear of life, when the distractedness of life, when the tension of life, when the difficulty of life tries to draw your attention away from the Lord, when it tries to take your eyes off of him, we can say, no, no, no my eyes are on him. I see this. And it reminds me of his covenant faithfulness. I see this and it reminds me of his mercy. I see this and it reminds me of his goodness. I see this and it reminds me of his protection. Of him fighting for me. I mean, just imagine with me. What do you think our lives might look like if we never took our eyes off him? What might the church look like? What might the bride of Christ look like if the church kept their eyes on Christ? So that when difficult things pop up, why do you think we incorporated testimony into the annual meeting the last two years? Because I get it. Our eyes get taken off what God is doing. So if we can carve out time to say, hey, here is a living, breathing human standing in front of you in your vision, giving testimony to the goodness of God, we can say, oh yeah, let me get my eyes back on him. So do you have Ebenezer's in your life? Is your life an Ebenezer? I I love this part in in Scripture. This word that we don't use, that we don't think about. Because it calls us to the intentionality that God has laid out his commands for us, the details for us. I mean, why is the Old Testament in there? It's for stories like that. Because all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is youthful for holiness, for growing. So when we look at stories like that, allow it to strengthen us, allow it to encourage us, but then allow it to sanctify us. Make us holier. Teach us to stop trying to fight on our own. Teach us to never lose focus, never lose sight of the goal, the mission, the call. To repent with our whole hearts, to turn with meaningful action, to do something about it. And then, to deliberately take steps. I love, when you read through the Old Testament, I love how frequently it talks about God's people doing something deliberately to cause the next generation to ask a question. What are you doing to cause the next generation to ask a question? What are you doing to help sanctify the church of tomorrow? What are you doing to help sanctify the church for your great-grandchildren? What are we doing about this stuff. Like this stuff matters. So let's do something about it. So this week, as we consider these things, as we consider this story, these lessons of learning not to fight in our own power, learning not to take our eyes off the target, learning to respond in prayer and adversary, learning to respond in praise when facing affliction. Let's read 2 Chronicles 20 and Daniel 3. 2 Chronicles 20 that we pulled the one verse out of. Daniel 3, Shadrach, and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales fan. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Great chapters. So let's read 2 Chronicles 20 and Daniel 3, and then pray as led by those chapters. We've been doing beautifully about prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. Again, in the pre-service prayer time where we ask the Lord to bless the service and to lead us in the service, you heard adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It It was such an encouragement to my heart. So let's continue to make sure that we're growing in prayer and allowing scripture to drive our prayer life. Let's continue to remember John 17, 17, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's not what John 17, 17 says, but that's what the Bible says. So we're working to make sure that as a church, we're hiding scripture in our heart. We're meditating on it. We're internalizing it. We're allowing it to shape us. So I'm not going to tell you what John 17, 17 says. We've been doing it for about a month and a half. If you're still learning it, great. Keep going after it. And then apply, yeah, this is very practical. And yeah, you might think I'm weird and nuts. But what, like, what's the downside to literally raise an Ebenezer in your life? I challenge you this week. I call for you this week to literally raise an Ebenezer in your life. Something that when you see it will cause you to remember the Lord's covenant faithfulness. Something that when you see it will cause you to remember he fights for you. Something that when you see it will cause you to remember his salvation, his victory, his delight. And that when other people see it, they'll ask you a question and you can say, Oh, these stones, that's when God parted the River Jordan. Let's be people Growing in holiness, being used by the Lord for commending his works from one generation to another. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your majesty, your glory, your goodness. We thank you that you fight for us, that you rescue us, that you redeem us. God, may we not take our eyes off you. May we never be so proud, so arrogant, so haughty that we cannot cry out, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. May that be true of this church. May that be true of us as your sons and daughters. May we continue the work you have called us to. May we not come down from the wall. May we not stop sacrificing. Lead us, Lord.